the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. The following program is sponsored by Ron Geyer Roofing. The Bible describes events that will mark the last days, or end times. 2 Timothy 3.1 says, This know also, that in the last days perilous times shall come. Matthew 24.44 tells us, Therefore you must be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour when you do not expect Him. Bible teacher Ron Geyer leads us through Scripture that will help us to remain strong in the Lord. End Time Insights with Bible teacher Ron Geyer starts now. Hallelujah, everybody. Ron Geyer, End Time Insights. Thanks so much for listening. We appreciate what you're doing. I think I'm up to 30 people telling me they listen to the show. I'm a happy man. So praise the Lord. There's a lot of stuff I would like to talk about with the election. I just want to give you my faith that we're going to win this thing. I don't believe God is done with President Trump. I know you're getting this a week after the election and so all the lawsuits and everything. My opinion, it doesn't really matter about all of them. I thank the Lord that our president is fighting. We're not into corruption. You know, they haven't brought anybody between the Durham report and the Barr supposedly report. Nothing has been solved. They say we're going to get indictments. We never see any indictments. Even President Trump said it a couple of months ago that nobody ever gets brought to justice. Well, praise the Lord. I believe they're going to have to do that this time. That's got to have to change. And one quick comment about the church in all of this. Where the church? Where do we go forward? How do we go forward? What does it look like going forward for the church? And in order to see what it looks like going forward for the church, you got to go back and see how the church was at the beginning, because that's where we're going. We're going back to our roots. We're going back to the intimacy that God had created within small groups. And I think you're going to see that. That's where the glory of God's going to reside, going to manifest. That's where the power of God's going to be released, where we've removed the ability for the government to intimidate us. We've done a backdoor slide past the persecution in that regard. And so I'm excited about that. But don't give up. I believe God has anointed President Trump. I didn't even bring that scripture with me today, so you don't get it today. But what I do want to teach about, this is my favorite chapter in the whole Bible. It's my favorite verse in the whole Bible. It's John 17. And my favorite verse also was in here, and I've never really taught it. And yet people that know me know this is my favorite chapter in the Bible. Number one, it's all in red. That's a big plus for me. It's all in red. That means Jesus is doing all the talking. Hallelujah. So I finally got to teach this last week in our home group. It was wonderful. They loved it. It was really well received. We're just going to take some high points and talk about that. But I mean, it's all in red. The whole thing is high points. And there's three main themes in here. Number one, oneness in the body. Number two, the glory of God. And number three, eternal life. Those are the three main themes in John 17. So I'll tell you what I'm going to do. It took me an hour and a half in our Bible study. I don't have an hour and a half. I may do it over three sessions. I may just get to the high points and say that's it. Praying, deciding how I want to do this. But I'm going to give you the blessings that I see in here. And my favorite, this is the deal. John 17, 3. My favorite verse in the entire chapter of John 17. John 17, my favorite chapter in the entire book of John, in the entire best book that's ever written, the Bible. So let's start 
I'm going to read you Jesus chapter 17, verse 1. These words spoke Jesus. So Jesus is doing the talking. He lifted up his eyes to heaven. I don't know. I normally close my eyes when I'm intimate with the Lord. Uh, I don't know why Jesus lifted up his eyes to heaven. Don't forget, he was born with God. He remembered that. He was God. And so he has a different vantage point than we do. I still close my eyes. And he said, Father, the hour has come. I love that. Jesus didn't say God. He didn't say Jehovah. He didn't say Lord. He said, Father, the hour is come. So now, when I approach God, I'm going to call him my Father. I'm going to remind myself that he's more than Jehovah. He's more than Elohim. He is more than some of these names that I Adonai. I don't really know them. I don't understand them. But because I have a Father, I can relate to God the Father. So I made this decision. When I start talking to God, it's always going to be Father. And here's something else that you should consider. When you talk to Jesus, call him Lord. You don't need to see, well, the name of Jesus, of course. But I don't call him the son. I I call him Lord because at the end of the day, remember, he said, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not the things that I'm telling you to do? He is the Lord Jesus. He's not just Jesus. He is the Lord Jesus. He is my Lord Jesus Christ. These words spoke Jesus, and he lifted up his eyes to heaven, and he said, Father, the hour is come. What hour is come? That's key. The hour where Jesus says, glorify your son. So he not only teaches us that he is the father of the Lord Jesus, but Jesus acknowledges, I am your son. And Jesus prays, glorify your son, that your son also may glorify thee. There's a great lesson right there, just starting off the bat. So often we in the body of Christ, we we seek the glory of God or we'll seek our own glory, which is worse. But it's for us. We don't give it back to God. God's a jealous God. If Jesus can pray, give me the glory so that I may give it back to you, then that's good enough for us. Anytime we walk in the glory of God, anytime we have the opportunity to manifest the glory of God, it's for God's purpose. It's for God's glory. We don't keep it. These athletes, whether it's a Michael Jordan, a Tiger Woods, a Phil Mickelson, a Bobby Orr hockey player, that glory that he allows us to show, the glory that he allows us to partake in is supposed to be given back to him. And you'll see this throughout John 17. We are supposed to be drawing attention, not to ourselves, we are supposed to be drawing attention to God the Father. So first things first, Jesus addresses God as Father, so should we. You know, and many of us are fathers, and if Jesus approaches God as Father, let us do the same. Look at the heart of Jesus, though. Jesus wants the Father to glorify him. Why? For what purpose? So that he may glorify the Father. Don't you think that that applies to us? Don't you think that's just a lesson worth making note of? What do you want God's glory for? Uh, My buddy Cameron set out these five tenets of the faith, and number five is glory to God alone. Number one, scripture alone. Number two, grace alone. Number three, faith alone. Number four, in Christ alone. And number five, glory to God alone. We have so much to unlearn and then to properly learn about the glory of God, but we'll come back to that hopefully later today. Verse two, as thou hast given him power over all flesh, Let me break that down as the Father has given the Son power over all flesh. Why? That he should give eternal life to as many as thou hast given him. I love that. Look at this. God has given Jesus power over all flesh. I get that. 
Okay, he's Lord. He can extend life. He can end life. He can do anything he wants with flesh. It says, the Bible says Jesus has preeminence in all things. The Bible says it was Jesus that created all things. And so it's important when God says, I'm going to give you power or flesh. Let's see why he does that. What does Jesus do with the power over all flesh? Unlike some of our politicians today, they rule it and they reign with the power that they've been given. They abuse, they dominate, they become tyrants. What did Jesus do with the power over all flesh that God gave him? As thou hast given him power over all flesh, that he should give, I love this, that he should give eternal life to as many as thou hast given him. The purpose God gave Jesus all power over all flesh was so that Jesus would give eternal life to as many as God gave him. I mean, that's fabulous. Look at the heart of God. God says, Jesus, you're in charge. You are the big man on campus. You've got all power. What are you going to do with it? Jesus says, I'm going to give eternal life to everybody you gave me. Wow. I mean, come on. If that doesn't draw you to God, if that doesn't want to make you know him better, what is power over all flesh? Look at this. Look at the why behind the what. The what is the power over all flesh. The why is so that he could give eternal life to as many as God gives him. That's a God I want to know. Amen. That's the kind of God I want to serve. That's God the Father, whom I wish to please. And you should have that same mindset. Jesus has been given power over you for the purpose of you getting eternal life. Okay, here it comes. John 17, 3, the most fabulous, most important scripture in the entire Bible. I love it. I love it. I love it. And this is life eternal. Wow. Look at this. Verse 3 begins with, and this is life eternal. Look at this. Who's speaking? It's in red. Jesus is speaking. He is the author of eternal life. And he is about to tell us what that eternal life is. Is that not fabulous? But I mean, what could you want? What could you desire more than eternal life? You know, a beamer, you know, to be world famous, a trillion dollars. I mean, to be president of the earth or eternal life. And this is life eternal. And there's five things that they may know thee, the only true God and Jesus Christ, whom thou hast sent. There you have it right there. I don't need any other scriptures. I don't need any other encouragement. I don't need any prophecies. I don't mean to be rude. I don't even need the Holy Spirit of God. I need total understanding of that truth, and I am a happy man. Of course, we need the Holy Spirit to make it real to us. But look, this is life eternal, that they may know thee. Life eternal, it is knowing God. You must know God. This is not only what Jesus is saying, this is how you get life eternal. These are the requirements that you have. That you need. Number one, you got to know God. Number two, you got to know he is the only true God. There are no other gods. There are five things you must know to have eternal life. And they're coming from Jesus. So we know this is the way to have eternal life. Number one, you got to know God. Number two, you got to know he is the only true God. Number three, you got to know Jesus Christ. Actually, that's three and four. Christ is not Jesus' last name. You got to know Jesus Remember, why call me Lord and do not the things I tell you to do? Why call me Lord? I never knew you. Depart from me, you that work iniquity. Number three is you got to know Jesus. 
Number four, you got to know Christ. You got to know he is the anointed one. You got to know he's the anointed savior of the world. The first four things, you got to know God. You got to know he's the only true God. Number three, you got to know Jesus intimately. You got to have a relationship with him. Number four, you have to know he is the Messiah of the world. He is the savior of the world. And number five, whom thou hast sent. This is a key component to John 17, the fact that God sent Jesus. It is a key component to the entire gospel. Jesus was constantly getting the disciples to understand, I do nothing of myself. I have been sent by God. God sent me. God loves you. You know the scripture, for God so loved the world. It doesn't say Jesus loved the world. It said God loved the world. And what did he do? That he gave. He sent Jesus Christ. You must know he is not just your Messiah. He is God's Messiah sent for you went to hell for you to bring you out, to bring you this eternal life. I love it. I love it. I love it. It's just so fabulous. To me, there's nothing better to know that. Just If you never get anything, get that. This even comes before, for God so loved the world. Verse 2, you got it, where God has given Jesus all of us so that we could get eternal life. Verse 3, this is the eternal life. That is a perfect picture of a loving father. When students entered Harvard University in 1646, Harvard University, 1646, we'd not been a nation yet. We hadn't had the revolution yet, but we did have Harvard University. They go back that far. When students entered Harvard University under their rules and precepts guidelines, students agreed that the main end of their life studies at Harvard University was going to be found in John 17, 3. In those days, a Harvard education placed the knowing of Christ as the only foundation of all sound doctrine and learning. Isn't that awesome? I love that. A lot of these early universities, they were Christian. They were uh, universities that accented the Bible. Harvard was no difference, but the whole, the tenant of everything they taught was that you students were supposed to come to an understanding that the knowledge of Christ is the only foundation of all sound knowledge and learning. I love it. Jesus says that by him finishing his earthly assignment, that obedience that he had brought glory to God. Verse 4, Jesus, I have glorified you on the earth, Father. I have finished the work which you gave me to do. So he says, I have glorified thee on the earth. And then how did he do that? By finishing the work that you gave him to do. I think that's fabulous. Once again, there's, there's a Bible lesson in every verse in this chapter. Jesus said that by him finishing his earthly assignment, obedience had been brought to glory for the Father. I'm sorry, that by finishing his earthly assignment, that obedience, him finishing the assignment, that brought glory to God the Father. So if anyone wishes to bring the Father glory, it will be evidenced by our obedience to him in the area of our assignments. That's why, remember, those who called him Lord, Lord, were rejected. We tried to figure out, well, why are they rejected? Well, I'll tell you why they rejected. They said they cast out devils. They did all sorts of stuff in the name of Jesus. They may have done great stuff for God, but God doesn't want us to do great stuff. He wants us to do our stuff. I will not get my reward by running somebody else's race. I have a race to run. And when I obey God and I run my race, that's when God gets glory. If I try to run your race, I'm not giving God glory at all. That's just revealing that I am full of pride, that I really don't know God because I'm too busy trying to get the glory for myself. Verse 5, and now, O Father, look at that word, glorify again. And now, O Father, glorify you, me, with your own presence, with the glory which I had with thee before the world was. So while Jesus walked the earth, and don't forget, he's getting ready to leave the earth. He's getting ready. This is 
pretty much the last prayer recorded in the Bible by Jesus. He's getting ready. He knows he's about to be offered up pretty soon. And he is asking God that he would go ahead and he would give him the glory that they had together. Jesus was aware of the glory that him and the Father shared at the beginning before he came down to redeem mankind. And he reminds God, the Father, that's the glory that I want, Father. You know, we think about glory that, oh, man, we're going to lay hands on the sick. They're going to recover. Uh, We're going to do something fabulous and give God the glory. We're going to win a hundred souls. We're going to build a great church. We're going to have this wonderful ministry. And we're going to raise the dead. Man, what glory, what glory, what glory. I'm telling you, glory is not what you think it is. The Bible says the heavens declare the glory of God. There's another scripture. Did I write it down here? I'll get to it in a minute. But everything on this earth is designed to give God glory. And we need to recognize that because we miss out on the glory of God by looking at it only in supernatural releases of power. You know, when you obey God, that's giving God glory. And we had somebody come to our church, a well-known speaker, and he promised it was going to be a miracle meeting. And people went in there, eyes wide open, looking for the miracles, waiting for the miracles, waiting for a word of prophecy. Maybe lay hands on somebody, they get healed. Maybe lay hands on somebody, they get slain in the spirit, they fall out under the power of God. For me, I didn't look for that. That's all a distraction. I wanted the word. I knew this guy was full of the word of God. I wanted to hear what he had to say. I wanted his latest revelations from God that would challenge me to be a better Christian. I wanted that. And sure enough, he delivered. He spoke the word of God and he applied it in ways that I didn't understand before that now that I knew he talked about the wisdom of God. He talked about the power of God. To me, that was a manifestation of the glory of God. I didn't need the miracles. Truth be told, they didn't come. (laughs) When you advertise the miracles, that's a first step, danger, 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 that it's not going to happen. He promoted the Word of God. And for me, I, I had such a wonderful time. I sat under the presence of the teaching of the Word of God. It was rich. It was powerful. The Bible says the Word of God is alive and powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing asunder the soul and the spirit, the joints and the marrow. The Word of God is a discerner of the thoughts and the intents of the heart. I heard that word. I grew. And at the end of the day, because he said he did such a fabulous job of preaching the Word of God, I left that night closer to God than I had ever been. That's a manifestation of the glory of God. Verse 7, no, verse 6, I have made known your name, O Father, unto the men which you have given me out of this world. He's talking about the 11 disciples. He's talking about, I have made known your name unto them, and you gave them to me. You actually gave them to me out of the world. They were in the world, but you gave them to me, and they have kept Thy word. If you want to be safe in Christ, you must keep the word of God. That was the prerequisite. You know, we've been taken out of the world by God for Jesus. And because Jesus is in heaven now, sitting at the right hand of God, ever making intercession for the saints according to the will of God, we are the representation of Jesus Christ in the earth. We need to be kept by God, by the name of God. We need to be kept, and we're kept through the word of God. This is a specific prayer that Jesus made for the 11 disciples that were left. First, they were gods. Then God gave them to Jesus from out of the world. These 11 were handpicked by God as a gift to Jesus. I love it. A gift from the Father to the Son. And well chosen they were because they kept the word of God. So many of us don't keep the word of God. We need to keep the word of God. Seven. Now they have known all things whatsoever 
that you have given me are of thee. This is what I said earlier before. It was important that Jesus trained the disciples to understand all the power Jesus has was from God. It was important for Jesus to get the disciples to know that he came from God. I came from God as a gift. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever would believe on him would not perish but would have everlasting life, the eternal life. They had the revelation knowledge that everything Jesus had came from the Father. They knew that. Jesus said it. Now they have known that all things whatsoever you have given me are of thee. Verse 8. For I have given unto them the words which you gave me. I love it. I love it. God gave Jesus words for the disciples. Actually, he gave the words to the entire world. For I have given unto them the words that you gave me, and they have received them. This is key. When people and preachers are coming to your church or somebody's preaching, we need to receive what's being said. We need to receive the words of God. That is so, so important. And they have received them and have known surely that I came out from thee. Once again, when we receive the spoken word of God, the written word of God, we have an understanding that Jesus came from God. And that understanding is so key. Remember, what is it? In Matthew, I think it is, where Jesus is telling to the disciples, who do men say that I am? And then Peter says, thou art the Messiah, thou art Jesus Christ. And Jesus praised him and he said thank you because that's it you get it you understand that is revelation knowledge that the entire church the entire body of christ the structure of the kingdom of heaven which is on the earth that is built and based on the rock of revelation knowledge that i am the messiah that is the starting point for all christianity jesus christ is the messiah verse 9 I love this. I'm praying for them, Father. I'm not praying for the world, but I'm praying for them which you have given me because they're yours. Jesus took the responsibility of being given people by God. He took it seriously. And he says, I'm going to pray for them. You know, I've got a Bible study. We got 30 people in the group, maybe 15 or 20 coming any one time. I take that responsibility seriously. I love them. I pray for them. Not for the world, but I'm praying for those that you have given me, Father. Why? Because they're mine? No, because they're God's. It's a responsibility. Marriage. Guys, you got a wife? She's God's daughter before she's ever your your wife. You got kids? They belong to God. They belong to God, and your responsibility is to God to keep them with the Word of God. It is so important. Let me say that again. Your wife and your children, they are your responsibility to keep them in the love of Christ, to keep them through the word of God in the name of Jesus, because they aren't yours anyway. They belong to God. Let's see, running out of time. I'm up to verse nine. I'm doing good. When Jesus says, I'm not praying for the world, he said, this doesn't mean that he isn't caring for the world. It just means that these folks, they're separate. They're a distinct group with a special calling out from the world. They're apostolic in nature, if you really want to get down to it. Even though God has given them Jesus, the son proclaims they still belong to the father. An important truth for us in our marriages and with children, like I said, they belong to God first and foremost and merely are here on loan from God to help us complete our assignments. I'm called by God to love my wife the same way that Jesus loved the church. That's my assignment. You know, we do this in marriage all the time. I love it. Ladies love it. Men kind of freak out. But, you know, the Bible says, husbands, love your wives. I know I'm drifting, but I'll close with this. The Bible says, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. Amen? Okay. 
The Bible says God's going to send man a helpmate. So you got husband loving your wife as Christ loved the church. God says, I'm going to help him do this. I'm going to I'm going to send him a helpmate. What is the wife supposed to do then? If God has called the husband to love his wife and God's going to send him a helpmate, the wife's number one responsibility is to help her husband love her. Isn't that fabulous? My wife is here on loan from God to help me love her the same way Christ loved the church. I love that. I think that's fabulous. Verse 11. Oh, I don't want to go there yet. Let's go to verse 10. All mine are yours and yours are mine and I am glorified in them. What a key. Because Jesus lives in us, we are glorified by his presence in us. What the father has are the sons and what the son has are still the fathers. But look, Because they came from God, they have the potential to reveal the glory of the Son in our lives. You are walking manifestations of the glory of God. And I am glorified in them. Jesus was glorified in them when they did miracles. Yes, most certainly. Jesus was glorified in them when they preached and people got saved. Absolutely. Jesus was glorified in our lives. It's because we have manifested the presence of God in one form or another. Seek the presence of God and the power will flow. That's how we truly glorify God. Hallelujah. Romans 14, 8. And I'll close with this. So, whether we live, we live unto the Lord. And whether we die, we die unto the Lord. Whether we live, therefore, or whether we die, we are the Lord's. That is so important. You must walk around in this planet with that understanding. Everything you do is for the glory of God when I was getting delivered. Greg, light that cigarette up for the glory of God, Ron. No, no, no. That got me delivered in a hurry, man. So I just quickly want to encourage you guys. Things are going to be fine. You stay in the word of God. You are kept by the power of God. You are kept by the love of God. We love you. We will see you next week. God bless you and keep you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for joining us for End Time Insights with Ron Geyer. Listen again next Sunday night at 8 on 100.7 The Word, where faith comes by hearing. You can also listen to the podcast of this program by going to kkht.com. If you would like to contact Ron, email him at gospelguy at comcast.net.